0: Hey everybody, this is Patient Lee Tomlinson, founder of the Compassion Heals podcast. I'm delighted to have you here. I'm the founder of the Compassion Heals movement, whose purpose it is, is to return the rapidly disappearing, immensely scientifically proven, powerful power of compassion to heal you, me, and the world. As we move forward, we're gonna be interviewing people who have experienced extraordinary kind acts, people who've given extraordinary kind acts, and the impact that it had on their lives, both for the giver and the receiver. We'll also be interviewing scientists, doctors, nurses, people whose job it is to literally provide compassionate care as well as competent medical treatment to determine how powerful it is, the science behind it, and the reason why, as one amazing philosopher once said, if you want to make somebody happy, be kind. If you want to be happy, be kind. So let's get into it. Compassion heals what the heck is compassion? Now, I travel the world speaking to healthcare audiences and others about the healing power of compassion. And when I ask, particularly in healthcare, how many people in the audience believe that on a scale of one to 10, that compassion is in fact, closer to a 10 in terms of importance than a five or a six. Everybody raises their hand. I mean, these are doctors, nurses, phlebotomists, you name it in healthcare. But then I ask the next question, which is, okay, great. We all agree that it's vitally important. Fabulous. What is it? And hands don't go up. I have to call on people, and that's part of the problem. So let's start with a definition of what the heck compassion is. It's really very simple. Most people in the audience, as they're trying to figure out the answer to something they think is a 10 on a scale of importance, they say, well, it's my willingness, my ability to feel the pain of others. No, that's the start. That's empathy, but it's not compassion. What turns that willingness to feel the pain of others into compassion, is to take action to do something to remove the pain of another. So compassion is the willingness to feel the pain of others and be willing to get up and do something to help relieve their pain. It doesn't have to be a huge gesture. It can be something like opening a door for somebody, giving a dollar to a homeless person, It can be very simple and very quick. But, as we'll find as we look at the scientific evidence surrounding compassion, the impact for the receiver of your kindness is immense. Mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially, romantically, you name it. No kidding, no exaggeration, the science will prove it. And guess what? It's exactly the same benefits for the giver. Think about it. How often have you done a kind act for someone? As a fellow told me the other day, he went to the beach and there was a guy as they were waiting in line to get into park with a sign that said anything would be welcome. So he gave the guy five bucks. The man, you thought he'd given him a million dollars. He could not, he literally was in tears with gratitude. Now, that was the impact of that little $5 bill on him, and I bet it lasted for a very long time. But guess what? A week after that, the fellow who told me that story was just as moved by it as the receiver. And that's the wonderful factor of compassion. It impacts you when you give it, and it impacts the receiver and has the same exact benefits. So, compassion is the willingness to feel the pain of another accompanied by an equally powerful drive to do something to relieve that person's pain, to give him $5, to give him a a hello, to open the door for somebody. They don't have to be huge, gigantic. You don't have to give somebody a house. You don't have to put somebody through college. You don't have to buy them a new car. It's simply a willingness to know that every single human being has deep pain from the past, from the present, irrelevant. We all have pain. And we are literally genetically designed for compassion. It is, in fact, what saved us in the days of dinosaurs, when our every moment was a fear of being eaten by a tyrannosaurus. At some point, somebody turned to one of their fellow cavemen and said, "Um, Hey, um, I noticed last night that you had one of your people, uh, one of your family, eaten by a tyrannosaurus and oddly enough so did I. Um, I'm thinking maybe we could kind of come together like a tribe, and if we get a big enough tribe, maybe we can scare those tyrannosauruses off and have them go eat all the people that aren't in a tribe. And that literally is compassion. I see your pain. You had somebody eaten last night. So did I. That's our natural genetic being. And that's what this show is all about. It's to remind you of that immense power, to prove it to you scientifically so you have no doubt as to the immensity of its value, and then hopefully to inspire you to be your natural compassionate self, to help heal your pain, help heal the pain of your brothers, your sisters in the world, your family, your friends, your colleagues, and everybody. So what gives me the qualifications to do a show called Compassion Heals. I mean, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a nurse, I'm not in healthcare. sort of. You'll hear the story in a minute. But really, it all started when I was a kid. And I was raised by one simple principle. Treat others like you'd like to be treated. Now, as a kid, I thought, Well, that's pretty easy. All you got to do is treat nice people nice, and they'll treat me nice. Sounds good. And it worked. But then I learned that that includes people who are jerks, people who are mean, people who are insensitive and in terrible pain who treat me like crap. I needed to treat them with kindness as well. And I'm still working on that. I'm much better at it now than I was, but it's hard. But, you know, I was raised with two educators, uh, my grandparents as well, uh, all four of us, uh, my sister and me, my grandma, grandpa, mom, and dad, and my sister and I. So we never, compassion, I never heard the word compassion at all, just that one simple principle. And from that, I've tried to do that every chance I ever had until... On June 23rd, 2012, at 10.28 a.m., I raced into the parking lot of a Dr. Michelle Putnam, my ENT, ear, nose, and throat doctor, to get a checkup. Now, here's the thing you got to know about me. I'm an absolute adrenaline junkie. If you dare me to do something, I'm doing it. It all started at the age of five. My sister dared me to go up to the top of our second story house, the staircase. And she pointed down to the bottom and said, all right, all right, Butch. That was my name as a kid. All right, Butch, prove it. Pointed down to the bottom. Now I'm five years old. Prove what? Prove that you either are or are not the son of Superman by flying down to the bottom or shut up about it because we are sick of hearing about you saying that you're Superman's son. In that moment, I learned two, two very powerful lessons. Number one, never trust my sister, duh. And number two, I can fly without hesitation to infinity and beyond. I didn't jump. I dove head first, because that's how Superman taught me to fly. And I flew. My parents are artists. There were paintings and drawings uh, lining the walls. I remember seeing them whiz by. I remember the feeling of wind in my face. I mean, it was glorious, absolutely spectacular. My landing, not so good. I woke up the next day for my very first of 70 years of treatment at the UCLA Medical Center encased in a white body cast. I had broken my clavicle in three places, I had a severe concussion, and I had broken a bunch of fingers because I landed on my head and my fingers and my shoulders at the bottom. And it's all been downhill since. I have literally been hospitalized in six different countries. That adrenaline is powerful stuff. I've broken over a dozen bones. I've had two near-fatal motorcycle accidents. I've had my thumb pulled off. I've had toes amputated. I've been—I had um, heat stroke and hypothermia in the same exact year. So you get it that adrenaline stuff has put me into more hospitals than you can remotely imagine. And I have to say, as I look back on it, I'm still alive, so I assume that they were all very medically competent, but were they kind? Were they caring? Were they compassionate? And the answer is absolutely. I can't remember a time in those dozens and dozens and dozens of hospitalizations where I didn't feel seen, heard, and appreciated. Let's get back to June twenty third, 2012. So, given all of that stuff, I love doctors and nurses. I mean, I'm alive today because of them. There's no doubt about that. They are my gods and goddesses. I put my life in their hands willingly more times than I care to think about. And I'm still alive because of their competency and compassion. But I hate going to the doctors. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Why? Because they're either going to do something that hurts me. Tell me they're going to do something that hurts me or poke me and jab me with stuff that's never any fun, despite the fact that they say, don't worry, it won't take long and it won't hurt. Never true. So I had to go though, this was an emergency. We had just bought the Culver Studios, uh, which was in terrible shape financially, Um, very famous studio in Hollywood, where they made a a significant portion of the 100 greatest movies of the century, uh, a series of television shows that I produced. and we had it. it was a mess, but I had qualified for the California State Amateur Golf Championships up at Pebble Beach. Now, if you don't play golf, that's fine. Um, I'm also a golf addict. I can't lie to you. So between adrenaline and golf, those are my addictions. But I had qualified, and I was having horrible, what I assume was allergic reactions to something or other. And my throat was all... You know, I couldn't swallow so well. My nose was all stuffed up. My ears were all, I I couldn't hear very well. And I'm thinking, I'm not going to Pebble Beach to play in the state championships unless I'm 100%. So, okay, I'm going to go to my ENT and go through the allergy test stuff and see what's up and get some more pills. I was already on pills for allergies, but something else was new. Anyway, so I get in there. Dr. Putnam, how you doing? It's good to see you. They put me through the test. She comes in with the results. One of the little, you know, they stick you with these little pins with different things on them that you could be allergic to. And one of them swelled up like you got to be joking. She walks in at the end and she's laughing. She says, "Um, Lee, you're not going to believe this, but um, on a scale of one to 10, you're an 11 allergic to grass. Grass. Yeah, grass. What? Um, That can't be true. I I said, that's not funny. She goes, no, I swear, it's an 11. Now, I thought that was absolutely God's way. Um, It it just wasn't fair. I told my wife, and she went, yes. What? Why does that make you so happy? She says, that's God's punishment for all those Saturdays you spent playing golf rather than being with me. Divine intervention. Give me an allergy to grass. You know, there may be some truth in that. Anyway, so now I said, okay, so give me the pills. Do me, tell me what to do. Every, that's great. Grass. Ha, ha, ha. Let me out of here. She goes, would you mind if I do one more test? Yeah. I've got to get back to work. I mean, this place is a mess. Just one more test. It won't take long and it won't hurt. If I had a dollar for every time I've heard that, I'd be rich. But I love Dr. Putnam. I trust her. I feel seen, heard, and appreciated. Uh, She's very kind and compassionate. Okay, 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 okay. What is it? She says, it's an endoscopy. Now, the only scopy I ever heard of was a colonoscopy. And I'm thinking, uh, she's gonna give me one of those, right here, right now? I, I said, oh, uh, uh, what is this? She goes, well, it's a it's a little camera. It's on the end of this device. I'm gonna numb your nose, numb your throat. We're gonna put it up your nose, go back down into your throat and look down into your soft, esoph- you know, blah, 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 blah. And I'll be looking at the pictures right here to the left of you. So if you wanna watch, You can. I said, watch. I've seen my blood and guts so I'm not going to look inside me. No, that's why I'm not a doctor. It's like, you got to be kidding me. It stuff grosses me out. So anyway, so she numbs me up, sprays me, blah, blah, blah. Uh, She's sitting right here and she's poking around, poking around, and all of a sudden I hear her go, huh? Like a sharp didn't take a breath? Now, There's probably only two things you don't want to hear in a doctor's office. One is, huh. The other is, oops. And I turn to her. She turns to me. Now, I know her well. And something is wrong. Her face has changed. It looks scared. And she goes, Lee, I I don't know how to tell you this, but think you have cancer. <clears throat> Dr. Putnam, I get that grass might be funny to you, <laughs> but don't joke about cancer. I lost my grandma, I lost my dad, I lost my other grandfather to cancer. Everybody I know that ever had cancer is dead, and she said Lee, I can see it here in the picture. It's at the base of your tongue, and it is advanced. It's stage three or four. We need to do a few more tests to find out, but it's real. As she said that, she reached out and put her hand on my arm and started to weep. I didn't know what to do. I was literally figuring out who would speak at my funeral. So I really only had one question. So I turned to her and I put my hand on hers and said, Dr. Putnam, am I going to die? She put her head down looked me straight in the eyes and said, yes, but hopefully not from this. Call your wife, get her in here right now. I'm going to cancel two hours of my next appointments so that I can be with the two of you and answer any and all questions you have about this, put together a plan and let's get busy curing you. And we did. And as we left, She hands me her business card. My wife was with me. I remember nothing of the conversation between you and me. She took copious notes. Thanks God I had her during the battle. But I had no idea. So as we're leaving, she hands me her business card. Now, I've been a patient for 18. Why is she handing me her business card? And I looked at it and on it, she had written her personal phone number. She handed it to my wife, not me, smart. And said, Erica, Lee, anytime, time, any way, anything, you call me, day or night. We're together on this. We're a team. We will get through this. And then she gave us both a kiss. So, was she kind? Was she caring? Was she compassionate? Did I feel seen, heard, and appreciated? Absolutely. She didn't treat me, she didn't cure me, but she absolutely gave me compassion. And I walked out of her office with something I hadn't had since she told me the diagnosis, and that was a tiny bit of hope. So, two days later I started my treatment. I think I'm a pretty tough guy. I was an ex professional athlete, marathon runner, mountain climber, adventure seeker. I'd been a million hospitals. I'd experienced a loss of body parts, amputations, you name it. I knew pain. I'm tough. I can get through it. I had three months of chemo followed by 36 days of radiation blast to the base of my tongue. They suggested that I do surgery. The problem was at the base of my tongue there was a very good chance that they would have to remove part or all of my tongue which would have left me unable to speak. I was a Hollywood executive you know, a legend in my own mind. We owned a major studio. We we're building another one in Albuquerque. I'd produced a decade of award-winning television shows. I mean I'm a I'm a I'm a big important guy. I'm tough. Cancer kicked my butt. There's no other way I could use other words, but I won't. It made me weep. I had unlimited amounts of fentanyl patches, and it only dulled the pain. It got so bad after those three months and 36 days of atomic blasts to the inside of my mouth and throat that I was living in 15-minute increments. Fifteen? Can I make it from 2 to 2.15? Yes. Can I make it from 2.15 to 2.30? I think so. Can I make it from 2.30 to 2.45? I'm not sure that I want to. And right when things couldn't get any worse, I'd lost 60 pounds. I couldn't swallow. I couldn't speak. I was using a lot of those fentanyl patches. I woke up in a hospital, in the ER, with what was diagnosed as an unidentifiable septic infection at the site of my port. Now what cancer treatment does is it literally shuts down your immune system so that it can kill the cancer cells. So here I am I'm dying of cancer and now I'm dying of an infection that they can't even identify with an immune system that doesn't work. If ever there was a chance of me dying, it's now. If ever there was a time, my life was a mess. I was running up gigantic expenses from the medical treatment. I hadn't worked in a year. We were financially in a terrible, terrible mess. I don't know about you, but when I'm sick and in pain, I'm kind of a jerk. You know, all that stuff about being kind. It was hard for me when I was in that kind of pain. And I was a miserable jerk to my wife. So my relationship, my 30-year marriage, was in jeopardy. I didn't know if I'd ever speak again. I didn't even know if I would live. And if ever I could have used a little bit of human kindness, a little bit of connection, a little bit of, I see you, Lee, I get your pain. It was in that hospital and I got Zero. These were the most cruel, insensitive, unkind human beings I had ever experienced in my life. Now here's the thing I discovered. When you put your life into some people's hands and they don't think enough of you to give you simple politeness Simple greeting, simple kindness. I know then that I'm not worth it. These are gods and goddesses. They hold my life in their hands. And if they don't think I'm worth it, they must be right. And you know what? If they're right, which they are, the world would be a much better place without me. And I realized that I had a key man life insurance policy at the studio worth a bunch. And if I was to die, my family would get it and live like kings and queens for the rest of their lives. A perfect way to get this mess that I was out of their life and change it for the better for them. And that's what I elected to do. I had enough fentanyl patches. All I had to do was put on enough. I'd go to sleep, not wake up, boom, problem solved mess that I was, removed from the earth, the place would be better without me. Problem was, I didn't know how many patches. The good news is, the day after I got out of that hospital from hell, a fellow named Dr. Dean Adele, a former radio host, hugely successful, brilliant guy, and my brother-in-law came to visit. And it was incredibly hard for me to speak, but I managed to croak out all the miseries I had experienced in that hospital. And before I was even able to say, how many patches should I put on to do myself in? He stopped me and said, Lee, can I I speak for, he asked my permission, may I speak for a minute? Sure, Dean. He said, first of all, let me apologize for the absolute lack of compassion that you experienced in this hospital. He said, it is deplorable. It is horrible. It is a tragedy. And he said, I am so sorry. And you know what? Unfortunately, you're not alone in it. It is becoming more and more and more common. And the healthcare that I got into to help treat, cure, and comfort patients is disappearing. He said, May I make a suggestion? Again, he asked my permission. Oh, and he had my, his hand on my arm to connect with me as well. I said, sure, Dean. He said, you know, rather than giving up, how about this? How about you fight like crazy? And if you survive, how about you tell people your story? about the impact of a lack of compassion in healthcare and the world. And see if you can't become part of the solution. See if you can't do something to inspire people to be their normal compassionate selves. And in that moment, despite the fact that I wasn't quite sure what compassion was, to be very honest, I knew what it felt like. So I knew what he was referring to. But all of a sudden, that kind, caring moment literally transformed me. And in that moment, I gave up my desire to die. I decided that I would fight. And if I was successful, I would come back and see if I couldn't share my story in ways that would educate, inform and inspire people to be their most natural, kind and caring self to help heal their friends, their family, their colleagues, the world and themselves. And that was how the Compassion Heals movement was born. So, Thank you for being here today. Thank you for listening. This is the first of many shows. We're going to have more. We're going to have guests. We're going to look at every single aspect of compassion. We're not going to make up stories. We're going to deal with the science of it. We're going to deal about how it works when it's present, the harm that's done when it's not, and hopefully get you to be more so. and Let me give you just a little challenge today. Do me a favor. Today, tomorrow, tonight, whenever, go out and do one single, simple, kind act for someone. Smile at a stranger. Hand some homeless person a dollar. Open a door for somebody. Help somebody with bags that are heavy. Simple. It takes seconds and you will literally be healthier and happier for having done it and so will the person who got it. Thanks for being here today. See you soon. Bye.